This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips and with me in his broom cupboard in Chesham, it's Jim Daly. No brooms in here, actually. It's um, I know, I called it that last time, didn't I? And it's not a broom cupboard at all. It's a study. It's a, it's a very, very small uh, spare room. Um, which has a lot of uh, crap in it, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but I've got football shirts here and stuff. I'm going to turn my camera. You've got football shirts there that I use as like ah. a mini sort of studio for my YouTube stuff. You've How many football shirts have you got, Jim? Actually, I counted them recently because my friend Jack counted his, and he had like 40-something. I've got like 30-something, 30 32, 33. And how many of them are Palace ones? <laughs> Probably about half. Really? Yeah, it's too many for a 36-year-old man, isn't it? No, I think I think it's quite nice. I wish I'd kept some of my old Palace shirts. Um, oh, I've got loads that was... I've lost from down the years. So what was the first Palace shirt then? It was the um, Tulip Computers 92 shirt. With oh, I had that one. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was very nice. Smart. It was smart. I remember, yeah, um, this is very boring I'm for our, our listeners who don't like Crystal Palace. Um but I, my first Palace shirt was the Fly Virgin one. Oh, that's a good, that's a classic. Yeah. That's a very good one. Yeah, it was, yeah, the FA Cup. I really wanted to get the yellow and black one they wore in oh, the replay. No. I liked that. I liked that kit, but um, I didn't like that game. Um, so, yeah, dark days. Yeah, they've got bad memories. That <laughs> yeah. Kit. Les Seeley had a good game, that game, I remember. Who didn't play in the first game? No, he was brought in because yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's <laughs> enough of that nonsense. Um, <laughs> how's your week been? It's been all right, thank you. Yeah, sort of same old, really. We're sort of 
Still mm. was at home doing bits and bobs, uh, trying to get by, still self-isolating, uh, writing. Same old, really. Um, yeah. What about you? Much, yeah, much the same. Keeping busy. Yeah, staying staying home. Um, children aren't going back till September. We made that decision. So, yeah, just doing the homeschooling and, yeah, staying safe. Um, trying to keep to the rules, really, although the rules obviously keep changing. They do, actually. And I guess by the time this pod goes out, they would have changed even well, more. We, we're still, yeah, they do, actually. And I've actually, this is bad, I've stopped watching the briefings, actually, because um, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, mm. So we are just sticking to the rules probably from a couple of weeks ago, if not longer, which is self-isolate, mm. unless you absolutely have to. And we're lucky. We're not frontline workers. We don't have to go out. So no. we're staying at home. I went today to the the petrol pump to fill up the car with petrol. I used the pay it pump mm. things. I didn't talk to anyone, touch anyone, had my gloves on, and that's it. And that's probably my outing for today. So we're just staying at home. Well, I think we, as a family, have discovered that we all we're all bit homebodies. Really, we we quite like staying at home. Yeah. Um, my wife and I both thought we were more social than we are, <laughs> um, and actually, you know, uh, we've we've quite enjoyed being at home. Just the four of us. So. Um, and, and and obviously we feel very lucky and grateful that we can do that. Now, on to other matters. I've got some tweets Ooh, here. Okay. Have you got a tweet, I've got Jim? Two actually. So unless you read out one of the ones, I'll read mine first, we'll and then see we'll see if is. you've got the same okay, one. Okay. I mean, we we're doing this. We're, we're recording this live. People won't know that, <laughs> but we're doing it live. This is on the, on the cuff, so we haven't done any pre- preparation, which we don't really. The whole kind of concept of this podcast is lack Stop of preparation. Our secrets away. <laughs> people might actually know that already from the the way it comes across but anyway here's a lovely tweet from um well it's her her name is me um is but Jones. she's at vix yeah um no her name's me and uh she's at vix nine three five two three seven two two which is quite a complicated <laughs> handle um but anyway she is a regular i know she's a regular listen she often sends us nice messages and she is i know from one of her tweets that she's chosen us to be her first podcast to listen oh, to wow. she's never listened to a podcast before and she sent a message about it but she sent me this lovely one she says just listen to my second podcast Um, of the blank pod with professor david wilson fascinating subjects certainly makes me think a little more and see things from a different perspective fully recommend listening and thank you very much so that's lovely message from vix thank you vix that's really nice i've actually well i've got two Mm. i'm going to read them both out if that's okay i'm going to absolutely throw the plans rules out the window um well i'm thinking one day maybe we should just do an entire pod of reviews probably could actually we're so lucky we get sent so many nice ones i've got, I've got yeah. one here also about the the prof wilson i started calling him prof wilson when i talked to you about him actually which i don't know <laughs> if that's respectful or not but um I, it feels good it's from um caff at caff caffy 12 who says i absolutely loved this podcast prof david wilson the very best of men made me feel safe and assured reassured you talked about disproportionate illiteracy in prisons Research shows that many prisoners are dyslexics, systematically failed by education from an early age. Education is key. Well, I'm glad that Kath feels uh, engaged by that. And absolutely, I mean, some of the stuff that, that Prof Wilson, <laughs> I had to start saying it, um, exposed us to, you know, was actually fascinating, really. Yeah, it was a brilliant episode. I really enjoyed it and um, very much looking forward to going to, um, oh, yes, we got to have lunch. Yes, we got invited, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and that would be that would be a, a real opener for us, I think. And um, yeah. it'll be amazing to learn more about how that um, that particular um, ut- um, facility works and uh, yeah. and how and, and the good work they're doing. So yeah, yeah, it was a fascinating chat. I mean, we learned lots. Didn't we we had a lot one. of feedback about um, that, actually. Lots of people seem to be really engaged in that podcast. And mm. I think as well, because it was a slight sort of um, departure from our usual sort of pods, I think it's nice for us to mm. cover different subjects. And we should say in future weeks, we are trying to get a sort of variety of guests coming on. Yeah, again, absolutely. I, yeah. Think it's, um, I think it's interesting. Can I read out my well, other tweet? Yeah, of course you can, Jim. Yeah, It's, it's actually going back to uh, an older pod, but one that is definitely mm. a fan favourite. So it's from Erin, at underscore Erin's with a Z underscore. Just listened to Reese Shearsmith's episode on Blank Pod for the second time, and I'm still shocked by how much it resonates. For the last 20 minutes, he may as well have been talking about me. I relate to his shyness so much, and it's empowering to listen to. I think that Reese episode might possibly be our most popular. Yeah, I'm, it's up there for sure. I think it really has resonating with people. I think that Tim talking about sort of social anxieties. Yeah. I think we, I think we all, we all have those moments, don't we? But I think for a lot of people, it has really, really touched them. Actually, what he was saying, and I think we look at you know these big stars and celebrities, and you know we know from 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 doing this and talking to people that we've all got very similar kind of little neuroses about life and anxieties and 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 things moments that we've you know that are difficult which is obviously what the podcast is about but yeah it's always nice when you can empathize with someone you can see as uh, as someone who is successful yeah. and does really well and you wouldn't expect i think that's the thing you wouldn't expect to certain have those kind of things absolutely yeah that i might go back and listen to it as well actually because um mm. I think there is a lot of really good stuff in there. So thank you, Erin. What a lovely tweet. Yeah, lovely tweet. Thank you. And I do wonder, actually, Jim, just slightly wonder if that will be on the increase when we start to sort of socialise again. Mm, maybe. Yes, maybe, actually. And, and You know, and, because yeah. we've been inside so long. Certainly um, people maybe of we'll... sort of a shyer disposition, which I, mm. I think you're right, we all have, but I think it's a bit of a spectrum. I think we all have it in sort of varying degrees, this sort of social mm. shyness. So... Yeah, actually, that's a fair point. If anyone's listening that does suffer that, you know, get in contact because, you know, it'd be interested to see how people are sort of feeling about it. I wonder if there might be mm. more anxiety about sort of going back out into the world again because um, I think that's something that I could definitely relate to. Yeah, or if you know someone who's got, you know, who suffers from social anxiety or any sort of, um, you know, is is very shy or anything like that, then please do direct them towards that um, that podcast because yes. uh, it was, um, you know, respect talked very candidly about those moments he has maybe he we could difficult. get someone on in the fu- in future weeks who might maybe an expert on it or something mm. with a bit of advice for people that feel like that about re-entering the world mm. again that might be interesting yeah let us know your thoughts on that we'd love to hear from you now today's guest is the brilliant grace blakely who is um just a fascinating person and has done loads and loads of good work in the last few years. It's still incredibly young as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that she's done so much at a young age, you know, I'm saying that like I'm sounding, I've, I never thought I'd get to that age now where I can say, well, she's such a young person. Um, but it's incredible really. She's only 26 and she's been in, I mean, she's sort of come to the forefront in, uh, in, the, in left politics and socialism and, um, was heavily involved in campaigning for Jeremy Corbyn and um, has done lots of great work with the left. And, yeah, it was really fascinating talking to her about 
all, all aspects of politics, really. So, yeah, certainly how she got into politics, um, you know, how she feels about the frustrations of it. And I sort of tried to outlay a lot of my frustrations with it, which, mm. you know, again, she shares. And I think we all do in a way. So, um, and I think as well, just impressive, as, as you say, what was I doing by 26? I, mean, I was playing, playing mm. football manager and going to the pub. Like, I, I, very impressive for someone to be that kind of engaged and, and actually, you know, at the forefront of kind of movements really mm. to make a difference. So, um, yeah. She's got a lot of energy about her, and I think that's, yeah. you know, and putting it in the right places. So that's that's interesting. But again, you know, it doesn't doesn't shy away from the fact that even on the left, there are problems with, you know, mm, of course, yeah, it's yeah, not all, not all perfect. So um, yeah, it's probably our most politicised episode. Yeah, I should think. I think it is actually. Yeah, you're right. I think, but we talked about some really big subjects, and I think it was really, you know, it was really great for us to address those things as well. You know, because both of us are quietly political. I would say. Um, and um yeah so it's always interesting to talk to people and um yeah if you enjoyed it then you know obviously we'd like to get more 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 political people on you know it's always nice to hear from all different voices yeah we've been saying for a while actually it would be interesting to get because we've had uh caroline lucas obviously my absolute hero on as our first politician but it'd be good to maybe Mm. get some more central or even sort of moderate i'm not getting an extremist right person that's not happening but like a moderate right-leaning politician maybe just It'd be good to get a bit of balance, I think. Mm. You know, I think that's in, uh, be important. Um, mm. Has to be the right person, of course. I think. Um, it's more for us to think about. Blimey, this has been this has been like <laughs> a little sort of workshop. Out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been like a little workshop. This part. shall we get into the podcast? Shall we stop teasing it? We should really. I think. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're deviating. We'll leave slightly. the workshop stuff for off air. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, Grace Blakely on the Blank Podcast. do that i don't know what it is i don't know if it's something about google calendar that just <laughs> completely yeah certainly not the first time i've done it can you hear me now yeah, can you hear you now? yeah. yeah. i was just talking to myself wasn't i <laughs> yeah like, it, it looked really I mean, great it was like yeah it looked really impassioned <laughs> we, we we cut off around uh meditation i think yeah so i've just been doing that every day you know <laughs> The same thing every day, basically, for the past 30 days. And I'm now starting to think, right, okay, I needed it because last day it was, like, so stressful. But now I'm, like, ready to get back into things if things ever start again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we're all sort of feeling. I mean, obviously, it's an ever-evolving situation, but it's that feeling of going back out there and doing stuff again, I think is... Yeah. I'm filled with a little bit of trepidation about it, actually. Yeah, Really? Hmm. Interesting. I know what you mean. It kind of does feel like it will be this big watershed moment mm. and everyone will be, I don't know, expecting so much. And yeah, you don't know if, if it'll, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously not going to be back to actual normal for, for a while. Is it? No, no, no. And I guess, yes, I mean, obviously social distancing will be in place for quite some time. And I guess until we find a vaccine of some sort. Um, but what work wise, are you, have you been out, have you been busy work wise? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have been. Um, I have been writing two books and a book proposal. Wow. So the books wow. aren't, aren't full books. I've been editing one book, basically, which has actually been a lot of work because it's like dealing with loads of essays and putting that in, into a coherent 
um, a coherent book. So that'll be coming out soon. And I've got another kind of short pamphlet, which is basically a kind of collection of my writings, but edited and put together in a particular way. Both of us, I've been doing those. I've obviously been carrying on working for Tribune. Um, and I've got another book proposal for a big book uh, that I am, I'm working on at the moment. Um, and just like a couple of other essays for, you know, various lefty journals and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing a lot of writing and it has, usually writing is the thing I enjoy and I still enjoy it, but it's just like the only thing I've been doing for like mm. hours and hours on end. There's only so much, so many mm. words you can produce in one day. It's nice to have this as like a bit of a break. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad we can give, afford you that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think, it's, I think it's true. We, we, I mean, Jim and I have been writing a book as well and I think, Oh, um, have you? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was good. It was really good at the start because it was at the sort of start of lockdown that we had yeah. a, a deadline and mm. we knew that we had to crack on with it. And I think that was, that was really nice. Um, but now we've got like edit notes. We're having to dive back in. Oh, it doesn't feel quite so, so uh, boring. It's not yeah, so exciting, is it? It feels a bit, Giles, I don't know if it's just you, it feels a little bit like having homework from school. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> back to that again. I don't care whether there's like a comma here, like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. And you have to have an opinion. It was like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, great. Have you found that, that, have you become more creative through lockdown or less creative or has it, has it helped or hindered? Because we talk about creativity a lot on the podcast. I'm, I'm intrigued to see whether people have actually, it's helped them or not. That's a really good question. I, I, I kind of don't know because I struggle to have a sense of normality to compare it to. Yeah. Because before lockdown, you know, there was a couple of months where I was just basically like recovering my strength after a, like a year of, I mean, I think last year was probably like the most intense year I've ever had in my life and it mm. ended with like four months of book tour where I was going around the world. And then suddenly the book tour ended because the election was called. And then I was traveling all around the country. And that mm. was obviously so like emotionally and physically draining. And then it got to the end of the year and I was just like, I just collapsed basically. Um, so I'm certainly more creative than I was at that point, mm. which is good. But I think I've been slowly kind of working up to back to normal really like in terms of being able to like write properly and, and re-engage um yeah so yeah what about you guys don't I, I don't know actually as i was asking the question i was thinking actually i'm not sure i mean yeah we've had we've had the deadline for the books obviously that's been i work better to deadlines when someone says you have to get this done mm. but i have a lot of my own work where i sort of set my own deadlines and that was a bit more sort of loose you know that i sort of let my, let myself off quite a lot so um i've been i've been trying but i don't know if i have been more productive what about you giles i'm hesitating <laughs> because um i want to say yes but I, I don't know if i have actually yeah it's difficult because creativity often comes from being around other people doesn't it, it? does yeah, yeah I've had this conversation with a few people actually because there is a little cafe in our town where I live in. C- <laughs> he in loves Sudbury. every podcast. He loves this <laughs> I, cafe. Well, I love this place. And, where um, is this? Where do you live? I live in Seaford, which is on the south coast, sort of in between Eastbourne and Brighton. Right, okay. Yeah. Apart from uh, where I am, I'm in Basing, like just outside of Basingstoke. Oh, are you? Parents. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So you know this sort of area. Um, and yeah, it's just a little cafe that's near the station and... I go there and it's this little hub of kindness and it's just oh. lovely. You get a nice cup of coffee That's and a, so you know, nice. a croissant and it's, yes. um, 
yeah, there's regulars in there that you meet and you talk to. And I think when, again, when we started writing the book, um, and when I've, and I'm writing other stuff as well, I, I love going there just to people watch and, and be around familiar faces and have coffee on tap. Um, mm. And I miss that. I do miss that yeah. a lot, actually. That that, and like you say, I think being around people sometimes is good. You do get ideas, yeah. and spark, spark stuff. So yeah, um, yeah. So I do miss that a lot. Can we mention the book, Charles? You haven't told me what it's about yet. Oh, well, it's okay. about the podcast. So, yeah, um, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to mention it or not. Well, I'm not, I'm I'm not, not. I mean, like on the podcast. Yeah. No, I don't think we haven't. There's not been an official announcement. Maybe we need to probably should probably just ask the editor if we can do that or not. But uh, we yeah, we'll cut this bit out. out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's about the podcast, which is really really nice, um, you know, and, and and not something we expected. So that's that's always that's always good, you know, when when creative projects come to you that aren't necessarily, um, you know, you're not fighting for them. It's quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. last year, Grace, obviously was a like you say a full on year. Did you feel a bit mm. bruised after the election? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, partly obviously because of the outcome, uh, but partly just because of. I mean, I was just doing so so much during that time. Um, obviously, like that whole year, I went from really kind of not being known to kind of being vaguely known. Mm. Uh, it was in, you know, that was the year I did question time. It was the year I started doing regular media appearances. So for the first, you know, six, eight months, I was dealing with with that as well as the process you're going through, like trying to edit the book and like do all that stuff that's so kind of tiring and exhausting alongside other work. Mm. Um, and like, I was still working at IPPR at the think tank at the time. Mm. Um, I had so much on. I was trying to juggle so many different things. Um, and then, obviously, the book came out in September. And from that point on, it was absolutely mental. Like, I was doing loads of media appearances. I organised for myself. And I, my publisher was like, why are you doing this? And I, I, I couldn't answer at the time. I was just like, I just want to go out and talk about it. I organised hundreds of events, firstly all around the UK and then around America and around Europe. Um, and it was just like, I just put out a, a note on Twitter saying, do you want your DLP momentum or whatever? But and loads of people obviously responded. And I just asked them to cover my expenses. I wasn't earning any money. I was just kind of going around the country, touring all these different places. And that's all I was doing. Because obviously I was going from like place mm-hmm. to place to place to place to place for months. And then obviously America, the America tour was amazing. It was just absolutely Where did you go in America? Fantastic. Was it all over? Uh, I went to DC, New York. Philadelphia and Chicago. Can wow. I ask you, sorry, because I've been to DC a couple of times. It's about the only place I've been to in America, there in Virginia. Um, I find DC very strange place. It is a weird place. Yeah, it is a weird place. It's very, like, in the, the parts that I suppose we would have been in, it's very, like, twee yeah. and, like, creamed. Mm. And mm. it feels a bit too perfect in some places. It's so, mm. like, orderly and... Yeah. Yeah, you compare that to, like, the insanity of New York. Mm. It's quite... Yeah, I know what you mean. It does feel quite weird. Millions of memorials everywhere, which, you know... um, Just, yeah, I think... I mean, yeah, being in, like, sort of central kind of DC where you're near the White House and um, the Lincoln Memorial and all that kind of stuff. But like you say, yeah, very... Yeah, it's it's a... I I think it's a funny atmosphere. My sister-in-law lived there and they've moved now. But, um, yeah, I found it very strange um, Mm. place to sort of visit. 
Um, yeah. I don't know the if it was I very really representative. Loved. Sorry. Oh. I was going to say, I didn't know how representative of America it is, because it's like I say, I've only see, seen that yeah. and, um, and, and, and bits of Virginia, which is sort of the sort of slightly more um, middle bit where yeah. uh, where people's <laughs> people's views are a bit more extreme um, <laughs> yeah, i know what you mean <laughs> yeah i really don't think dc is that representative of the rest of america no um the place i really loved actually i mean obviously i love new york the place i really loved was chicago it was such oh, right, a cool yeah. city um i mean it was freezing cold but it was really cool it, it's really like it's obviously incredibly unequal because you go from one part of it to another and the, the juxtaposition is incredible um but it's got so much energy. It was just a really cool place to be. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was supposed to be going back there in July for a conference. And yeah. that is not happening now, which is really sad. Is yeah. that the first time you've done something like that in the States? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time I'd done any kind of um, public events, really, in, in the US. Um, it was great. And, and then obviously did... in Europe after that, which yeah, was fun. Yeah, and how, how did it differ from here or, or in Europe? differ that's a good question i think so some of the events were like a bit some of them were a bit bigger actually obviously because you've got a bigger audience um although i did some pretty big events in the uk as well um obviously you know the questions that people were asking were different um so this was kind of still in when people were in the the bernie sanders campaign so there were a lot of questions about about that um and I think, you know, there are so many... What was interesting about being in America was that I think people have a, a sense of the fact that the American government is so powerful and influential that it can change so much mm. itself just through changing its policies, whereas you don't really have that same sense in Europe and the UK. So in Europe and the UK, there's a lot more questions about, you know, how do we influence what's going on in the rest of the world? How do we, you know, work kind of in international institutions? In the US, it was very much just like, what can we do to change the world. And I suppose mm. there is that power, but that's also why someone like Bernie Sanders was probably never going to be allowed to get mm. anywhere near the White House because it would have just potentially, you know, it could have transformed the global economy. Um, so, yeah, I would say there was there was a little bit of that. Um, it was it was interesting. It was really interesting. I mean, being in all the different places that I went to, mm. um, see, and even like the different parts of the UK, seeing... Um, the, the way that people related to the ways. Uh, I mean, broadly, everywhere I went, regardless of, you know, age, education, previous engagement with Labour stuff, people were very... I was really um, kind of struck by how insightful a lot of the questions were. Mm. I kind of kept, kept a list of, of, of the questions that I were asked, and there was a lot of overlap, and a lot of them were, were very kind of well thought out. Yeah, do you think, because I'm, I'm from the south as well, I live in, in Buckinghamshire, but originally from Kent, I think people, maybe more from the south against the north, but maybe the other way around, people don't, I think maybe underestimate people from other parts of the country a little bit, uh, probably in different sort of ways, and I guess that was shown in the election last year as well, that not even that people misunderstand, I think, people from other parts of the country, think they know people, and actually they don't. And that was really sort of starkly shown, I think, in the election. But I guess as well with, you know, you're talking about the insightful questions and stuff. I, th I don't know, I think people can surprise us sometimes, can't they? And you, yeah, and I, I don't know, if I'm, I'm trying to sort of stay as broad as possible and, and, and be open-minded, but it's difficult sometimes. 
I don't know, maybe it's because of where we're from or the way we're brought up, but I don't know, we have this sort of preconception sometimes about people. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this question. To be no, I, like, I, I completely agree, actually. Like, I've, just, um, I've just finished reading this really great book that was sent to me early by the publisher, so I could give it, give it an endorsement. And it was sitting on my table, and I was thinking, oh, God, do I read Because it's a big book. I was like, oh, do I really want to read this? I pick it up, and it was amazing. What it was about was basically human nature. Uh, and obviously, all the books you have about human nature are like, human beings are selfish and horrible, and here's all the evidence. And he just goes through all the evidence that suggests that people are really bad from like, you know, the Milgram experiments when people are like supposed to shock each other, like the prison experiments, all those sorts of things Mm. and shows that basically pokes massive holes in all of these experiments that show that people are inherently selfish and shows this amazing amount of evidence about how people are social, how, you know, the particular kind of human intelligence that human beings have that marks them from from other creatures is basically the ability to like learn from other people um and yeah it was just like the most amazing book ever because you know you expect to pick up a book about human nature and be told like how bad everything is and actually yeah. this book it's called humankind by rick Regman. um it, it was just like people are actually good here's all the evidence and then you think about it in the context of coronavirus where everyone's actually working really hard to either you know make the nhs work or um the old guy who walks around his garden in order to raise money or people just going and like um volunteering as as part of mutual aid groups and they're like actually yeah this is a more realistic picture of the way that people work i think yeah i choose to believe people are good I, i want to believe that and i think you're right actually recent actions have shown that and those people that aren't you know those people that inherently come across as selfish or 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 try to kind of butt the trend they're in a minority surely yeah but often a powerful minority right because often the way you get to the top is by elbowing everyone else out the way Mm. so we're led by i think a lot of the time people who don't represent the best in us yeah Yeah. i think you're absolutely right we've that's that's um very apparent (laughs) current (laughs) government um you won't get any arguments with us on that. Um, we normally start the podcast, but we already have started um, by talking about um, childhood. What what was childhood like? What where did you grow up? So I grew up here, actually, where yeah. I am now. I, like, my parents have had this been in this house uh, for nearly thirty years now, wow. and so I um, they moved here when I was two. I'm now twenty six. I'm going to be twenty seven next month. No, actually, not next month, in like two weeks. Very exciting. <laughs> uh, not. 27 seems like, you know, you're going from mid-20s to late-20s. That's like time you need to start getting serious about oh, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going from I'm going from mid-30s to early 40s, so don't worry. It's just I'm way ahead of you. I'm going from early 40s to... I'm going from early 40s to mid-40s. So, yeah, yeah, that feeling grace never disappears, by yeah. the way. It just... It just... <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, Yes, I grew up here uh, in in Hampshire, um, so just outside of Basingstoke. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely part of the world, um, but it is in the middle of nowhere. And as a child, that was very frustrating. I was quite a, I was a very, very rebellious child um, from like, from the age of two, apparently, according to my mum. Apparently, I was an absolute nightmare. And that didn't stop throughout most of my childhood, so... I was like, constantly getting expelled from schools. I went to like, oh, three wow. different schools. 
Um, what did you do? Yeah. yeah, what did you do? Just, I mean, I, kept, I was constantly being expelled, particularly from, so I went to two private schools and then okay, I went, went to Sixth College yeah. for, um, uh, for, yeah, for Sixth Form. Um, and it's just like, you know, the usual stuff you get in trouble for, a lot of things that you would ordinarily do outside of school when you go to a, a private school where you're there quite a lot of the time, you do mm. in school. So, the kinds of things that young people do at parties, whatever, you, they would happen at, at, at schools. Like, I think. Gotcha. And just like, you know, just not respecting authority was a lot of the time what I would get in trouble for. And that has been, I think, probably a prevailing theme throughout my life. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of my childhood was spent with me grounded or in trouble trying to, like, run away from my house in the middle of nowhere, which I'm now like is a lovely place. I'm quite happy to be here. Um, so it was, it was interesting. I yeah. think, yeah. Well, my parents that... were certainly traumatized. By it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can imagine as a new parent, I can, I can imagine that, but I'm sure that can go one of two ways. Cause that can either make you as a kid be like, okay, fine. And maybe sort of go into yourself and just be like, you know, a bit meek and just get on with things. Or in the case of, in your case, it can go the other way and make you actually keep fighting and fighting against that kind of the rebelliousness uh, for the rest of your life, which I guess is, is, is what's happened. I think so. And I did like, my mum thinks that it runs in in her family, basically, because my granddad was was similar. He like ran away from home when he was fourteen and joined the merchant navy, and then like read the Communist Manifesto when he was away and came back and got really involved in in unionism. So, and it was constantly getting in trouble as well. Um, and my mum was kind of the same, actually. Like she was constantly getting in trouble. Um, so yeah, I think I don't know. There's just there's there's part of it that seems to be just part of our, our DNA. Um, and yeah, obviously part of it, I don't know, I don't know where it comes from, just a natural tendency to kind of mm. resist being told what to do. <laughs> I think that's comforting though, that you that, that it's, there's something inherent in there from, from, from other generations. Yeah. I think that's always a real comfort actually when you see yourself. I know what you mean. In, 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 in you know, in other, um, in your ancestors, as it were. Um, I think that's really cool. Um so yeah, so you got expelled how three times? No, twice. I got expelled from two schools, yeah, um, and then went to to Sixth Form College where I was fine. Only got suspended once. <laughs> it's a good ratio for you. <laughs> oh, that's funny, isn't it? Like um, when we look back at ourselves. I mean, I was used to get in trouble quite a lot at school, and I think it. Mine was more that. Um, you know, I just didn't want to be there, really. I think yeah. that was the main thing. Mm. Education was kind of wasted on me at that point in my life. Um, did you feel similar? Was I don't think I did on the on the actual education front, but I know a lot of boys who felt mm. that way. And I think there's a big difference there because for whatever reason, it does seem that as though, like, from the age of about 13, 12, 13, girls, you know, develop quite quickly. Yeah. And boys, like you get an 18-year-old girl and an 18-year-old boy, you've got oh, quite a big difference. Yeah, massive. Yeah. And they're going to university and you're expecting them to kind of take on all the responsibility. I certainly think that, like, um, I, you know, that I, compared to my brother, for example, um, was, I mean, I was always getting in trouble, but in terms of the actual education and, like, the learning side of things, I was quite happy to, to kind of be there. Mm. If anything, I was a bit like... 
you know, got a bit bored and wanted yeah. <laughs> wanted to be pushed a bit more. Yeah, um, sure. But I know that, yeah, my brother was kind of always a bit like, oh, I don't really want to be here. Like, you know, didn't end up wanting to go to university. And he's, you know, doing really well now. But I think there is something about that, uh, you know, being at school age where, yeah, I don't know, just doesn't work at that point in the kind of education mm. you want at any point in your life. You want to go back to university, you should be able to go back to university. Well, it's a proven fact, isn't it, that boys and girls learn at different rates, and 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 so I mean, maybe in a way, the education system should be kind of tailored to that. Maybe or, you know, changed a bit to actually bring the best, give everyone the best opportunity, you know, regardless of of whether you're male or female. What what I'm thinking, what as I'm saying that as well, I'm also thinking about sort of different backgrounds and stuff. Cause like I, I was, just, I was thinking about school as you were talking there. I was thinking like, I, I definitely wasn't rebellious as rebellious as you. And um, I thought sort of, I'm sort of in the middle of you two. Cause I, I, I found school. Okay. Some subjects I hated. Some I was like, oh, okay, fine. I, I remember s- s- having a massive row with my French teacher actually. Cause I, di- I didn't, I thought she didn't like me. So I didn't like her. And ugh, the big thing, we had a big row one day in class and I was sent out. Um, but if, we're the three of us are lucky aren't we because we are three middle class white people but the experience of people of color in school are they're not able to stand up to authority they're not able to stand up to teachers it's a very very different experience so i'm just with everything that's happening at the moment now i'm trying to sort of check my privilege and think okay why was i allowed to do that why did i get away with that Mm. and nearly always the answer is because you're white um and it's just it's making me think at the moment yeah actually that it it would have been a very, and I went to school in, in West Kent, very white, white Catholic, comprehensive. Mm. Um, it'd be a, I wouldn't have been able to stand up to my French teacher or stand up to. I was helped a lot at school actually, certainly in sixth form, because I basically didn't go. Um, but it would have been very different if I'd have been black or or you know, and from a different background. It's just it's eye opening, really, isn't it? Yeah, certainly that would have been the case for me. And even if I'd been from a less well off background, I think like. I feel like there wasn't, you know, there wouldn't have been a good reason to put up with my yeah insert. <laughs> Sorry, you can't swear. Word yeah. word there. <laughs> um, if yeah, if I'd been, been from a different background, and certainly that was the experience of my cousins who um, are kind of you know not middle class and, and went mm. to um, not particularly good state schools, had didn't have as as good of a time as good of a time as as I did. Um, and like my, the, the, the thing about male versus female education actually is really interesting because my cousin, who is really really clever, um, decided not to go to university. You know, got kept getting in trouble at, at sixth form. Um, what ended up working in just a shop for a while um, until he was about twenty two when he was like, God, I actually wish I'd paid attention at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went back, did his A levels went back to university as a mature student, and now he's doing a PhD in physics. Wow. Southampton. Like, amazing. Oh, like, I went to uni in Southampton. Did you? Well, yeah. Not, not the university. I went to the institute. But I just say Southampton. <laughs> and I let people, like, make their own decision. <laughs> yeah, you could have gone to the uni. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's, know, a, that's a great story. It's a really incredible story. But you just think, how many people slip through the cracks because of that? Mm. Well, I, 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 only, I only got one GCSE above a C and um and then yeah about 
15 years ago, I did no U degree and, and, and got a BA on it. Really? So, you know, yeah. And I think it's that thing, isn't it? Of like, like um, it's never too late. I, no. And I was yeah. ready to learn, uh, you know, at 30 odd, I was ready to learn. So that's amazing. Both my grandparents but, did OU degrees as well. Did they? Oh, yeah. it's such a brilliant yeah. thing. You know, open university is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what, when did you first start sort of getting interested in politics then? Cause you obviously went sixth form. Yeah. I've always been interested in politics. Have you? My okay. dad tells this story. It's really funny. My dad tells me this story about, um, I can't remember when it was. I must've been like 12 and we were watching the West Wing or something. Okay. And I like went to him and I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> which, who, which character though? Who? I don't even remember. I don't remember. That's <laughs> okay. Okay. And then he was like, right, well, if you want to get into politics, you need to do PPE at Oxford. And I was like, right, okay. So at the age of 12, I decided wow. that that's what I wanted to do. And then, amazingly enough, it happened. Wow. I think, Charles, at 12, I think I was like swapping Panini Premier League stickers and just playing football down the park. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I, I even knew what politics the West was. Week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, God, yeah, I think I thought I was probably going to be a professional footballer, even though I was terrible at football. Um, wow, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's a fantastic story. And yeah, then you ended up doing it. Good, it's quite funny. And then like a couple of years later, there's, um, so obviously I was, I wrote, wrote for the New Statesman for a while. Mm. Um, and, uh, when I was 14, I had a letter published in the New Statesman because I Did was you? reading it at the time. At 14? <laughs> wow. And it was about like Lord Brown and Tony Blair or something. But it must be somewhere. Yeah. Um, but my granddad had it had it framed on his uh, on his wall, which is quite funny. That's amazing. So you were actually reading the New Statesman at 14? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, actually, I remember at a similar age, or a bit older, my mum bought me a subscription to The Economist. So I think she thought, right, Jim, let's get away from the football. Let's actually, like, try and, like, do something worthwhile. And she bought me a subscription to the... I think it might have been for my birthday or something. Subscription to The Economist. That's expensive. Yeah, it's exactly. And I think I read maybe one one edition was, like... Same for me, mate. Sorry. Yeah, fair enough. She tried, you know, she tried. But again, similar to your brother sort of thing, I think later on in life I would have appreciated it more, but it just wasn't wasn't the time for me. But it's quite rare, I think, for someone your age at that young to be so engaged and interested in in politics like that. I certainly haven't heard of many people that young. I don't know what it was. I think, so it's interesting, actually. I've always been quite... Like, obviously, that thing about authority, right? So I've been always been quite resistant to authority. But yeah, I've always yeah. been very interested in, like, power and how people use power and whether or not they're using it for good or, or not. And I think a lot of the time when I was at school, I would just be like, well, you have a position of authority, but you're not using it legitimately. Mm. So why should, I, why should I do what you say? Mm. I think I was always just a bit like, I was always just interested in, the, in those kind of relationships. And I, I think I... I still am now. It's still a lot of what I write about is about who has power and how we kind of widen who has access to to power, whether that's economic or political power. Um, I don't know. I think that must just be a a sense that I have. At what moment... Actually, by the way, before we do that, just to prove my white middle-classness, I am drinking a blend of um, licorice and peppermint tea from a very posh... uh, I love that one. That's the Parker one, isn't it? 
Yes. The, li- yeah, the three. Nice. Li- I really like that one. Well, no, I used Pucker. to have that, and now I make my own. I have the Pucker Three Licorice b- Blend with a peppermint, with Sainsbury's peppermint actually, which is the best peppermint around. By Other the way. peppermint oh. brands are available. Uh, and I, <laughs> unless they want to sponsor us, um, and I mix the two in my uh, teapot here. It's lovely. Um, I've got some much um, kind of quite cool green tea oh, that's nice. come from nice. the. The Chinese wholesale shop that we sometimes go to. to get Amazing. Food. God, we're so middle class that way. God, I, um, I've got a can of Coke. <laughs> no. Um, my question was going to be, when, at what stage then, and I'm guessing the answer is probably quite early, at what stage did you realise that politics is inherently incredibly frustrating, is basically broken, is, in, is massively unfair, uh, doesn't, is undemocratic in many ways. At what point did you have that realisation where you're like, oh, for fuck's sake? <laughs> I think probably, again, quite young, probably around 16 or 17. Um, so at that point, I was still I was still interested and engaged, but I kind of, my interest shifted a bit from domestic politics to kind of international stuff. And I, I think, I think I probably became a bit less political actually when I was like seventeen at the beginning of my university course. At that point, I was, I wanted to kind of go work for the UN and like, you know, solve world poverty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually during that was kind of my ambition for most of my degree. And then I did an, a course in African studies as a master's. And actually, that was the point that I started to get more interested in quite radical left wing and like Marxist theory. And it was really because, you know, you have this image of, you know, you do a kind of standard politics course and you think, right, okay, so this is what I'll, I'll do in order to save the world. And it was from doing African studies where you actually study the global economy from the perspective of the global South, from the perspective of those countries that have been colonized and then dealt with neocolonialism, whatever, um, that you start to see quite how rigged the system is both at the national level and actually against, you know, working people everywhere. So it was after that, that I, and it coincided with, um, with the 2016 leadership campaign. It was at that point that I was like, actually, maybe I will, you know, reignite my interest in, in kind of domestic politics and see what happens there. Um, but there have always been those two kind of levels going alongside each other, the kind of international and 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 the and the domestic. Um, and yeah, it was it was after that that I started getting into um, the Corbyn stuff and and Labour Party politics and uh, and speaking on you know TV and writing writing about it. Uh, and now here we are in the period after that moment. Yeah. I'm probably kind of have to figure out what now. Yeah. I was going to ask you actually when because I remember when um, that leadership contest and sort of Jeremy Corbyn came out of sort of literally came out of nowhere really and it, you know and, and inspired me to join the Labour Party actually uh, at the time. Um, what was it about him for you though that really sort of because became I think he just became over it's like almost like an overnight kind of yeah. it felt like that anyway an overnight kind of sensation and um, you know and 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 actually sort of did manage to engage lots of younger people, um, not just 40-somethings like me, but um, who had who'd come, you know, become, I guess, a little bit tired of the old sort of way of doing things. Um, mm. Was that, what was it for yeah. you? Yeah. It was funny because for me, I think, again, because I was still a bit, I think it was more of an intellectual thing for me, to be honest. I was quite 
so I'd done my economics course. I'd, uh, this was when I was doing my master's, this, this was all going on. Um, and I was fascinated and appalled by austerity, both from a kind of, you know, political perspective, but also because I just finished learning about economics and it's just contrary to any kind of economic sense, regardless of the school that you're looking at. So I was kind of looking at what was going on. And I was like, why is this happening? And that kind of, from that intellectual perspective, um, I was like, why is no one saying that this is obviously really stupid and isn't going to work? Um, so with the B15 election, I was campaigning for the Greens on the basis that they were the only party mm. that was opposing austerity. Mm. I remember really powerfully sitting um, in, like somewhere in Oxford, watching the results come in early in the morning and just being devastated that Labour had won. Because I assumed that Labour would win anyway, right? Yeah. Um, and it was at that point that I was like, God, I need to get involved and try and do something about this. And then Corbyn, I actually joined before Corbyn even, I joined the Labour Party after having come in for the Greens, before Corbyn had even come out in the wake mm. of that moment of Ed Miliband losing to be like, we need to, you know, get a grip yeah. here. Um, and then Corbyn comes along and suddenly you're like, Wow, someone who does oppose austerity and not only that cares about, you know, international stuff and, mm. and you know, global development and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so it was kind of a, a, just a, it was it came at com- a completely the right moment at the time that I was thinking, right, I don't want to necessarily do international stuff anymore. Um, I want to get more involved in the Labour Party. And then there he was. <laughs> the the Miliband thing was mental. I, I, I was living in, Brixton uh, in Ballam at the time and my local MP was actually um, Sadiq Khan who was the MP for two oh, at the right, time yeah. uh, so 2015 so I, I voted for him um, but the Miliband the Miliband thing like all the bacon sandwich thing and all that it was oh, so okay. But, and the tablet the stone tablet that was the other thing yeah, I mean, that was a- I mean, I mean the that. I mean yeah I mean <gasps> the right wing um, our lovely right wing press um, yeah just were cutthroat weren't they yeah, and, um, but isn't yeah. it mad how like Kirby. things have shifted so much? And now we have a prime minister who's like openly said racist things, and yet, where why why has the line shifted so much? Why is the line? I mean, it's just ridiculous when you compare it to an election that was only five years ago. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're living in such such crazy times in so many ways. I just think that if you think about what the world and what politics was like before 2007. It was stable. It was normal. Everyone basically thought things should stay as they are. And if they do stay as they are, then most people will get better off. I'll be better off than my parents. I'll be able to buy a house. Things will be Other than like climate change, which we'll deal with, things are probably going to end up fine. Then the financial crisis hits and it just completely, obviously doesn't just decimate the economy. It just decimates those expectations that things were going yeah. to get better. Yeah. And when you, you realise that that period between 1980 and 2007 was a historical anomaly, mm. and actually the tendency that we're seeing in a lot of our economic, political, environmental systems is towards degradation and breakdown. And you start thinking, things aren't going to get any better. Especially after, you know, 10 years of austerity, you're like, wow, things are not going to get any better. And I think that causes people to adopt more radical positions, whether those are radical positions on the left or radical positions on the right. Because, you know, there is this sense that for some people, well, if we just stop letting other people in, Mm. kicked a bunch of people out, then there would be enough for us and things would go back to normal. Um, Now, obviously, that's not true. It's something we have to fight against. But 
I can see how that thinking would become more prevalent in the kind of moment that we're living. Yeah, that's such a, I'd, I'd forgotten that it was the crash. And actually, I think I was unpoliticized before the crash. I actually think after the, the how old will I have been then? 2000 and oh God, older than I care to admit. I would have been 24, 23 or 24. Yeah, I think I actually became politicized after that. Mm. Which is interesting, actually. the the the, implic- the wider implications of that actually is way more than economic. It's it's social, you know. It's it. Mm. That's so interesting. I'd never thought about it like that. But it's like it, there's so many, and that expectation is so true. You, it, it, it actually goes back to actually what you were saying earlier about standing up to authority, because I think actually it's many people's belief in the system and belief in that things will be okay and that this democratic system works for us and we work for it has just been completely blown out of the water and actually it's been exposed to that it doesn't work at all and you you can't really trust a lot of people if not anyone you know and i think it and that does force people into extremist god wow i'm learning a lot today <laughs> no, yeah. but, i mean i guess you could cite the, the sort of rise in populism has been on the rise for for a number of years but maybe you know, are we are we thinking that around that time was probably an ignition for that as well? I reckon it it was, yeah. Um, for for all those reasons, I mean, mm. you know, what is what is populism? I suppose it's you know a load of different definitions, but you can you can think of it as kind of popular anger against the system directed towards a political movement, and there is certainly on all ends of the political spectrum, widespread dissatisfaction with the status quo. Um, and I think, you know, for even, for the period after the financial crisis, for lots of people, things got immediately bad. I think it was only about maybe seven or eight or ten years later when things started actually getting bad for everyone else as well. Mm. Um, and then you started seeing that radicalism spread to other parts of society. So... You know, on on the radical left, obviously, you had the Corbyn moment. On the radical right, you had the rise of UKIP, which was happening steadily, and then obviously Brexit. And even in the centre, that reaction against Brexit to say, actually, no, we want things to go back to the way they were when, mm-hmm. you know, our lives were good and everything was fine. Um, but, you know, that obviously came about at a similar sort of time. So everyone, almost everyone, has in one way or another now been hit and definitely now with coronavirus now been hit with that realization that things aren't going to go back to before 2007 you're you're never going to have really yeah. that kind of scale of economic boom that we had during that period um, at the global level either happen again no. um and actually it you know things don't look that great unless we're really able to work together to get a handle on some of these issues and obviously people have different solutions that they're posing Mm -hmm. but i do think it was it was that period those 10 years between 2007 and 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 uh and where we are now um that gave rise to all the the kind of political upheavals that we're currently going through do you see well bring that up to date do you see after this current crisis is is dampened or finished or gone if we've you know hopefully we'll find a vaccine at some point Hmm. Are we going to see similar big political change, do you think? Or do you think that... I mean, the fear is obviously that we'll enter into another um, period of austerity. Um, yeah. Or are we going to see... Are we going to see more radical change to the 
you know, uh, we've seen a move to the left with regards mm. to policy with, economically, but is that going to be sustained or do you think it's, we're just going to go back to what, you know, the right normally do, which is <laughs> not give people stuff. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, regardless of what form the change takes, this is inevitably going to transform society and in fact yeah. you know the world right you know this is a a shared experience that has affected everyone of the kind that you rarely see in history you know maybe 2008 was kind of like that but again it wasn't the same because you know not everyone was affected by it um in the same way this is something that you know everyone has had the had experience of everyone has had not similar experiences because obviously the experience you've had of it depends on class race gender whatever you've all been we've, everyone's been affected by it mm. and they, there is a a widespread realization i think that that most people don't want to go back to normal and i think that's borne out by the opinion polls most people say if we can you know rebuild the economy better should we people say yes obviously um, and also that i think there's been a kind of a revival of the solidarity that i think was probably lost in that Fairly, you know, when from when Margaret Thatcher says there's no such thing as society, we kind of enter this age of of individualism, mm, of consumerism, yeah. and a lot of kind of social ties that previously formed the basis of society, whether that's like community groups or like unions or whatever, start to break down. And I think we're kind of potentially entering a moment of revival of the social, so of people thinking of realizing how important it is to be part of groups that are, you know engaged in mm. uh in kind of you know some form of collective action and i think that's gonna be a really big change in terms of what happens in, in politics i mean again i think that really depends on on how who's able to kind of grasp that moment and mm. and make sense of it better now obviously the right's going to be saying right well this is the chinese virus we need to shut down borders we need to you know pick out the immigrants there's an interesting thing about climate change on the right which is like shut down borders now so that when the global south floods people won't be able to get in right that kind of reactionary stuff will i yeah. think potentially be their narrative yeah. on the left i think we have to say you know like i was saying earlier, like look at the amazing solidarity that's been shown during this moment look at the capacities that ordinary people have to support each other and look at the capacities that the state has to support people why are we using this power at the moment to hurt people as we have been with austerity? Why can't we use this collective power to you know, build a, a greener, a juster, a more equal, a more sustainable economic model that people feel really engaged with? Because um, I don't think people feel that engaged with politics or with economics, even if they're passionate about it. Um, mm. So, I, you know, what happens next will be all determined by the nature of that debate um and the nature of that 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 struggle i think um and i'm i don't know i'm i'm not i don't know if i'm optimistic or pessimistic yet i, was, I can't, I was gonna ask, I can't yeah. tell um i'm hopeful i'm hopeful i would say i'm hopeful i wouldn't say i was full full-throated optimistic just hopeful yeah, well, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about those studies into the human nature and that actually people are inherently good, which is something I choose to believe, and clearly you do as well. And I think that's a useful. I think that's a. I think that's the way to be as well in terms of 
God, in terms of progressing, in terms of managing your mental health, you know, it helps if you can try and believe in people. So hopefully if we come through this, it, it will be a positive thing because I think as a nation we are we are good people and we are social and we want to help each other. And you're right, that has been borne out recently. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? And especially in politics, especially I think we have quite a sort of an archaic system actually in terms of politics in this in this country from everything from the voting from parliament from mm. everything really do you do you ever do you ever have those moments where you just think oh f- i can't i can't be asked this like, i'm i'm you know I mean? i'm fighting the good fight but it's not working all the time honestly all the time i remember after the election this is so embarrassing i can't believe i'm admitting this but whatever after the election i was just like so and it was partly exhaustion it was partly just like what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, on the face of it, it looks like I've just wasted all this time. Like, why did I naively believe that things could be better? Obviously they can't. And I just, I literally, for like three weeks after the election, did nothing but play video games. I just played The Sims (laughs) all day. Like, I was just like, I want to be in this world, (laughs) not in my own world. Uh, Eventually I like, you know, got back to normal. But I think I have those moments all the time, yeah. You- what were you playing Sims, did you say? Yeah. Love the oh. Sims. <laughs> My son's got Sims 4. He loves it. So good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? I think I remember seeing you. I think you had to do like Good Morning Britain or something, like maybe the day after. And I yeah. think it was quite oh, yeah. a... That it, was the, had... the morning at 6 a.m. Yeah. I had slept. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And... Um, <laughs> You were being attacked by quite a few members of the other. Well, I think Ian Dale was on it of all yeah. people. Um, and I just remember thinking, "Oh, come on, poor, yeah, you know." I, was I, I, it wasn't. I was fully. I, that sounds patronising, saying feeling sorry for you, but I, I just thought you looked like you needed to get some sleep. And, um... <laughs> and I reacted to it in the worst way possible, as you can imagine, when you've been awake for however many hours. Yeah, of course. I was just like, I just shouted back, and it was just all of us shouting all over each other, and it was yeah. it was not nice TV for anyone to watch. <laughs> morning Britain is often like that. It was particularly bad that morning. Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say, yeah, do, you, do you enjoy those kind of... Oh, you know, like you, you sort of alluded to earlier, like doing things like Question Time and stuff. Do you enjoy those um, kind of shows? It's like something like Question Time is a real rush. Like I don't, I used to, I don't get that rush as much anymore just doing normal TV. Um, but like when it's big, it does give you a bit of an adrenaline rush and you, you mm. know, you probably, um, you probably prepare for it and you go in and it, it's one of those things that's really exciting. And I do quite enjoy it actually. Um yeah, I do enjoy, uh, you know, I enjoy communicating in that way, kind of thinking about new and interesting mm. ways to try and express my ideas um, and debating with people. I've always enjoyed that. But it's not fun when it's just people shouting at each other mm. or when it gets off topic and becomes personal or, you know, yeah. as TV often does. It's fun when it's about the ideas, but a lot of the time it's not about personalities and there's not a lot yes. you can do about that. There's been there's been a lot of criticism of Question Time, hasn't there? That it's like not as fair. I, I've I've got a tiny bit of experience of working in TV, and I'm wondering is that is that that show and of its ilk are they as sort of democratic as they appear to be, or are they, is it a bit more sort of I'm scripted is the word I'm going to say. I don't mean scripted, but I mean like is it a bit more you know not as as fair as they seem? Mm. Well, they do pick the audience, obviously, and the way they pick it just reinforces 
like the kind of politics that we have at that moment because it's all to do with voting and stuff. Yeah. And I think like the biggest, one of the biggest issues that we have is just that there are so many people who are so disengaged with politics, they just don't vote. So yeah. you've got like a section of the vaguely politically engaged population. And a lot of the people who are politically engaged are one way reason or another, you know, right wing, either because they're well off and they want to protect what they have or because, you know, they're uh, engaged in that kind of cultural politics. So you get those people represented. You get the vast mass of people who are just sick yeah. of the BS because they're not, and they're, they've just decided, uh, you know, this isn't for me, I'm not even going to bother voting. And those are, those are actually the people who were, who were trying, who, who Corbynism tried to engage and actually did mm. successfully engage um, in 2017. Um, and I think, it's so important to to actually make people who feel sick of the system and think that these, these things are never going to work for me. So why bother? Yeah, it's important to give them a sense of 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 power. I feel like getting more non-voters on the Question Time audience would yeah. be actually just yeah. balancing it. Have fifty percent non-voters, fifty percent voters yeah. would be yeah. much more illuminating. Do you think those? Do yeah, you think, think people so. like that though? Of sort of feel scared about you know getting involved in politics that are. Like, like I do, like, like I bet the average person cares about fairness, cares about equality, wants everyone to get on, and that's about it. But I bet they think, oh god, politics is such a big thing; it's scary, it's like confusing. So I'm just not going to bother with it. But actually, if they thought about it, all those things they care about are political; they are politicized, and they're also the thing that most of us care about as well. So it's, it, I wonder if, like, and I wonder if that's the same with me when I was younger. That, that it just seems like this big, like, well, I'm not going to bother with it, but they still care about those things. A hundred percent. Like, I don't think not being engaged in electoral politics means that you don't care about, like, society or, mm. you know, your job prospects, or, like the economy or whatever. Yeah. I just think it means you're probably either, as you say, overwhelmed by the, you know, the scale of it, or you just think these people don't work for me and they're never going to work for me. Um, I think that's like a, a big thing that a lot of a lot of people feel. And they're just like, why vote? Why give legitimacy to the system when it's not not done anything for me? Yeah, which, by the way, you can do by spoiling your ballot paper, but people don't know. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I agree with it. I'm just saying, like, obviously, I prefer everyone to feel motivated to vote, but yeah, I understand why they don't. Yeah, yeah, I'd argue. Going back to the questions thing, I'd argue it's be, it's been improved by since coronavirus came through. Like, just the yeah. way they structure it now, no live audience. Um, it's it's less haranguing and you know mm. you get very much more concise um questions and stuff so if there's one good thing that's coming <laughs> out of so question time's been improved very true yeah no i agree actually it has been a bit better yeah so what's next for you grace what's good next question. yeah <laughs> you're actually um, writing lots but yeah i'm writing a lot um and that's that's why what, what i'm kind of trying mm. to focus on more at the moment more than more than tv uh and more reactive stuff i feel like this is quite a good time to be able to have a step back and actually have a time of proper thinking and writing and mm. working out my thoughts again because i had that for a while before i wrote the first book which is what allowed me to write that book and i think with a lot of people who get um, a, a level of attention, it becomes very easy to just be like, oh, don't really kind of stop thinking theoretically and stop actually mm -hmm. kind of trying to work out and just react all the time. Um, yeah. So I've decided like I want to take a bit of time to work out what I want to say in this next book. 
um, to do a little bit more, um, I suppose, kind of deeper thinking. Um, so I've been doing less media and more like podcasts like this. I've been doing a lot of, a lot of kind mm. of, a lot of podcasts. I've got my, setting up my own podcast. Excitingly. Oh yeah, amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I just got a grant Tell us about that. From, from an organization to set that up, which would be really fun. Cool. So and, I'll be and doing would that. Would it be a, what, what, what would be the format of the, of your podcast? So it's going to be like uh, a fairly, it's going to be like 30 minutes, um, mm. 10 minutes with a guest, a different guest each week. Me discussing initially 10 minutes of kind of discussion of current events and mm. then 20 ish minutes of discussion of the person's writing and work and uh, a link that with what's going on. Uh, and it's, it will be explicitly kind of for socialists and mm. uh, progressives to talk about interesting ideas to talk about movements all over the world. So the, the big hook, I suppose, that I want uh, I want it to have is that it's educating people in different parts of the world about the socialist movement in other parts. Um, so getting people on from, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, you know, the US, that's Europe, good. wherever. Mm. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, what are your, what do you see for the left at the moment? Obviously, there's new Labour leadership. Mm. What are your thoughts around that? And where do you see the role of momentum, for example, going forward? Yeah, so I think, you know, in many ways, obviously, like, Keir Starmer is not from the kind of socialist left of the Labour Party. Um, and, you know, I, like, I, I hope that he, he does well. And I hope that he also maintains the commitment to the policy agenda that, that has been popular. So things like the Green New Deal, for example, that are so popular. I really hope that there's a, a kind of commitment on going to that. Um, but I also think that, you know, the left now has the capacity to not just focus on the Labour Party and to focus on all these other huge struggles that are going on in wider society. So mm. Black Lives Matter, the environmental movement, uh, you know, but even like coronavirus mutual aid groups or whatever. Like, I think there is a real capacity for us to build build the kind of um, social solidarity that has always underpinned socialist organising throughout the history mm. of, of the UK. If you look back to kind of the post-war period, there were uh, like working men's clubs. So fine, you know, working people's clubs would be the equivalent of the day, but, you know, they provided a, a sense of kind of community and solidarity. Labour movement was obviously much bigger. Um, and I think that provides really important spaces for people to just, you know, exist and talk about ideas. I think rebuilding that is going to be really, really important moving forward. Um, and I, I don't think that when you look at things on a global scale, I don't feel pessimistic because, you know, these things ebb and flow. I think that is the thing. This is yeah. what my mum my told me, who has always been a kind of lefty and, you know, loved Tony Ben and whatever. She was like, look, these things ebb and flow. Sometimes it's your moment and sometimes it's not. And you have to figure out what you're going to use those periods where it's not your moment to do uh, and to make sure that you use those moments so that you're prepared for when things inevitably swing back again so that's mm. kind of where i'm at at the moment uh, is knowing that the problems that we've been talking about for four years haven't gone away knowing that in many ways things like climate breakdown inequality they're only going to get worse and people are going to realize that and they're going to want answers to them we have to be thinking about formulating those answers even if you know the left isn't as close to political power as it once was, there are other ways of of bringing attention to those ideas and building support for them. And that's what I hope that we can do um, for the next couple of years. Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? All those, I mean, all those things you mentioned there make so much sense. It's frustrating that they just don't happen. <laughs> it's frustrating that 
I mean, I've seen today actually in the polls, Keir Starmer's the highest, like newly newly polling opposition leader since Tony Tony Blair in ninety seven, no ninety four or something. Um, so that's encouraging, but it's just frustrating that we're having this battle with these important issues. And there's been battles in the Labour Party as well over the last couple of years of these issues and stuff. And there's been you know good things and bad things out of that. It's just frustrating that really being kind to each other. Being a fair society, getting on, equality, all these things really should just be happening anyway. It's just, and I know life is complicated. And I know you're right, things do swing. And historically, when things go to the hard right, they then swing to the left normally quite quickly afterwards. You know, fingers crossed. But it's just frustrating. It's frustrating and it's tiring. I think so many people feel that way because I do think, you know, we're all motivated by broadly the same things. Like every average person that you speak to is like, I want to live in a fair society. I want, you know, the environment will be collapsing, whatever. Exactly. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think often people then go from that to expect, or well, to kind of look at politics and think, well, why, as you say, why don't think these things happen if we all want them? Why don't things work out? Yeah. And I think actually, again, coming back to this point about authority, the thing that I always, I've come from politics with and, and retain is a, an awareness and understanding that whilst most of us want the same things, there are often people in positions of power who, whether it's because they've kind of gotten too much power, whether it's because, you know, yeah. they want different things or whatever, um, or just because of the structure of the institutions that they exist in, often don't want those things. Or if they do want those things, kind of see them in very, very different ways. Um, and often I think, then I think especially amongst like the average person, I think there needs to be more of an awareness um, about the fact that politics that is seeking to build a better, safer, fairer, more equal, kinder world sometimes involves struggle, sometimes involves fighting for what you believe in. And that seems like it doesn't make sense because you're like, I don't want to fight. I want to, you know, it's to be nice and good. Sometimes you do have to fight. Um, And... I think, yeah, often what is really needed is is powerful leaders to kind of make people feel like they can fight and that they have the capacity to stand up for what they believe in. Um, so I hope that, yeah, a new a new one of those will come at some point and, and kind of, yeah, get people back on track. It's just frustrating because it feels like we have sort of inherently unfair systems here and in the US. I mean, in the US, the college system is just a, it's just a complete mess. In the last election, Hillary won the popular vote by like four million votes or something ridiculous. And that doesn't win you the presidency. And here, you know, we have first past the post and and it also is a is a bit of a mess. But then PR will never come in because it would have to get voted through by the government. I don't know, it just feels it just feels a bit unfair, I guess. And it does feel overwhelming sometimes. But I also think that, you know, if you look at like the history of humanity, the things that ordinary people have struggled and fought against that at the time seemed completely and utterly insurmountable, whether that's the civil rights movement or, you know, the fight for universal suffrage. You do think things can change, but they need us to have a sense of our own power and start working towards them. That's true. Yeah, very true. Good. You're making you're making me feel more optimistic. Thank you. Well, it's been a theme of this um, this episode. I think hope has been a big, yeah. a big word that we've used a lot. And I think that's something we can definitely take away that, you know, I've always, yeah. 
I, I like that word anyway mm. and um, it's always been something that I've gone back to when I'm you know ever I'm feeling yeah. low or or or, um, or disenchanted or whatever it might be um, or disaffected I think hope is just um, mm. it's something that we can always latch on to and it really is sort of everything a lot of the time I couldn't agree more well <laughs> I go. think that feels like a very good place. It, it does. Place it to does. Start. It was a Finish. lovely way to put it. <laughs> it was like we planned it. <laughs> um, Grace, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to talk to you today. Thank it's you so been much so for lovely your to time. talk to the two of you. you. You guys have a really great setup here. It's really lovely and relaxing and oh, just nice. Thank you. We had a really thank nice you. chat. Thank great. you. Um, no, we really appreciate that. That's always nice. Oh, it's nice when people say nice. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> well, no, thank you so much. And honestly, we massively appreciate it. And um, good luck with the writing. I mean, thank you. And you guys like too. Lots of exciting things Thanks. going on. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. All right. Cheers, Easy. guys. Bye. Thanks, Grace. Bye. Bye. Beautiful acoustic sounds of our end sting. Uh, never forget those sounds. Um, yes, that was Grace. Uh, Grace Blakely, very interesting person, very passionate person, very mm. engaged, a lot of energy, as we said. Um, and I found the bits when she was talking about sort of being so burned out from all the campaigning mm. and her writing and the book tours and stuff. I think you forget that being on the frontline of politics and i'd say that as someone who is definitely politically engaged but most i do is retweet stuff i go to the odd protest i don't at the moment mm, i don't at the moment mm. i feel like i should be but um i think you forget probably how incredibly tiring and sort of draining it is yeah well i mean i asked blake um blake i asked grace sorry um about that moment when um like i say i'd watched it um on um, GMB where she she went on the sort of the morning after the election and you could just tell I mean to be honest everyone on it was was obviously very exhausted but yeah I think emotions were running high for everybody and I think that's obviously that's obvious to see and um, yeah I think very very difficult when you're in the heart of those moments um, particularly if you know you you're it's frustrating and we talked about frustration a lot on the podcast yeah. um, when the things that you believe in aren't aren't being seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel those frustrations massively. And mm. I think a lot of people do. So it's interesting to hear her talk, you know, so honestly about her own frustrations. Um, so, yeah, it does, it, not just her, but like a lot of the young people, God, again, I sound like you in, the, in part one. Um, <laughs> a lot of young people, the, the, oh, the oh, meddling kids, um, they seem to be so... <laughs> politically engaged at the moment and that mm. kind of youthful exuberance is really refreshing and i think quite hopeful and again we talked about well, hope didn't we on the pod what i was about to say was that yes that does uh, gives me loads of hope that that you know and, and even my own kids they 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 question they're asking stuff you know and we're always quite honest about what's going on um in our house about all sorts of things but yeah we try and explain to them as best we can what's without without obviously without trying to be too um what's the word giving them our point of views but not trying to sort of coerce them into yeah, believing yeah. the same things as us yeah. you know we want to give them an you know they, they let them have their own opinions but um you know um 
at the same time, yeah, try and try and educate them as well as we can and let them be involved in that. And I think, it's, you know, like I say, obviously they're very young, but, yeah, lots of younger people are getting engaged. Um, I've seen that in my own community here in Seaford. You know, we have a long, young mayor and things like that. And, um, you know, they can be 15, 16 years old. And they, uh, the ones I've met and I've had done a few things of community projects in, in, in my town is that they are incredibly engaged. And um, that's really that is really hopeful. It is indeed. So thank you, Grace, for uh, joining us. Mm. We really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it was a great chat. Thank you, Grace. It was. Yeah, good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling hopeful. Mm. Um, I think that's it for this podcast. Can I just mention? And you can cut this. You can cut this bit. No. Someone called. Oh, I say someone called Christopher Christopher Connolly, one of our um, regulars. Oh yes, Christopher Connolly. He's voted for us in the British yes. Podcast Awards. I didn't think. People could vote for us. I've come confused by that. Now. Well, there is a People's <laughs> Choice Award, Jim. Right. So it... there is a People's Choice Award. So if you are still listening, you've you've got through the intro, which was about eighty-five minutes long. <laughs> you've got through a brilliant, brilliant episode with Grace, which was the right amount of time. It should have been a bit longer. And then you've got into this bit at the end, which is probably far too long again. <laughs> if you are still listening. You, thank you. Thank, well, first of all, and you could actually do something very nice for us. Thank you to Christopher. So he's tweeted, "I voted for the blank podcast uh, in the Brit at Britpod's Awards Listeners Choice Award. Vote for your fave." And it's on the link, so we'll retweet that out from our uh, mm. Twitter account. Um, and maybe next week we'll mention it at the start of the podcast because I feel like right yeah. now Christopher's probably the only person listening to this. Um, if we've got one vote, that's. Amazing. Well, it's nice. It's so nice, and I, you know, I know Christopher's a, a long-time regular listener, and, and yeah. we do see the other sort of names popping up on our Twitter feed of, of regulars as well. And we do really appreciate even just their tweets, you know, and, and messages of support. But if they're actually going to vote for us as well, that's so nice. So, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it takes two or three minutes to vote. So, if you would like to, please do. If you don't want to, absolutely cool. But um, yeah. we appreciate your support in any way. But uh, yeah, thank you, Christopher, for doing that. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And yes, it's um, it's always nice to be thought of. So thank <laughs> it you. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, and if you'd like to think of us further, you can send us a tweet. You can. Um, or you, yeah, or or an email. So where can they tweet people, Jim? They can tweet us at Blank Pod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook, also at Blank Pod. I, I think it's basically our Twitter is our busiest of the. Uh, yeah. We're most engaged on Twitter. Social media platforms. And our email address is theblankpodcast2018 at gmail.com. Although, and again, you can cut this, um, I didn't realize we got two email addresses because I tried to sign into the YouTube account yesterday mm. to upload the John Sweeney video. And I did the blank podcast and it went to a different account, like just had your name and no channel. And I was like, oh God. So I did it without the, and it turns out, that we've got blank podcast 2018 as well. So now oh, I'm very we co- confused. <laughs> <laughs> we've covered all bases. Um, yeah, I'll look into that. Well, I, it, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter. They can email both, can't they? But um, Email wherever, wherever you, you want, want, really. We'll just shout yeah. out into the ether and we'll, we'll hear it somehow. But we're on social media, so just give us a message on there. Yeah, exactly. We do appreciate it. Right, mate, should we wrap up this four-hour long yeah, we think you should. Yeah, <laughs> listen, have a great week, mate, and uh, and see you next week. And same to our listeners. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you again very soon.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. 